Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Wendy Bjork about how we can become more accepting and understanding when an employee is diagnosed with a chronic illness, such as multiple sclerosis, instead of causing them to hide it or fear disclosing their condition. Wendy Bjork, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. You have a unique background and area of expertise that allows us to explore, I think, what is a very important topic. We're going to be talking about how we can become more accepting and understanding when an employee is diagnosed with a chronic illness. Uh, specifically, we'll talk about multiple sclerosis, uh, but other chronic illnesses as well. Uh, and that's a really touchy, uh, difficult kind of a, an issue and a topic within the workplace. So many people don't want to uh, share uh, or disclose that they have that kind of an illness. And so they, they don't seek accommodations. And so we need to keep our eye out for opportunities on how we can be more supportive Uh, of others and create an environment where people can share those sorts of things without fear of retaliation or or anything like that. As we get started, I'm going to share Wendy's bio with everybody. Wendy Bjork, aka the MS Warrior Queen, has dealt with MS for 35 years since she was in her late teens. She realized early on in her diagnosis that having a positive mindset and a strong faith was key in keeping the illness from taking completely over. After years of experiencing all different levels of exacerbations and permanent damage to her nervous system, she decided a few years ago to begin a journey to healing holistically. Wendy is now a mentor to other women diagnosed with MS, empowering them to improve their mind, body, relationships, and environment through her four cornerstones program to bring out their inner MS warrior queen. Since MS is an invisible illness, there is a lot of stigma around it and potentially a lot of underlying issues. Through her years of navigating it, Wendy has realized how many gaps in care exist, and her mission is to bridge those gaps and give other ladies the tools to navigate their MS. I could go on and on and on. Um, you have an incredible background, uh, but I'll, I'll pause there and just give you a chance to share with listeners anything else you would like to share by way of your personal background or context. Sure. And I guess since I've been dealing with this for so long, I didn't realize how many other people were just suffering in silence and just, you know, hiding because it's easier not to talk about, you know, not just MS, but any kind of chronic condition. And I guess that's why it's my mission now to bring light and awareness to all of it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And thank you for the good work you're doing. Um, On a personal level, uh, my father-in-law passed away uh, from MS uh, about a year and a half ago. 
Um, but he was diagnosed at a very young age as well and had been dealing with, with uh, everything related to the, the illness for decades. Uh, and in, in recent years, really since in the last 19 years since I've been married, uh, he, he had been very much suffering. Um, and it, it's, it's a horrible disease. It's, it's, uh, it takes a huge toll. Uh, and so th that was my first exposure, it, you know, firsthand to interacting with someone who had an MS. Uh, I also have a sibling um, that has another chronic illness uh, in chronic pain. And, you know, it, it, it really does impact every aspect, every component of your life when you're dealing with that every day. And certainly that includes bleeding into the workplace and your ability to do your work. Uh, and fortunately, my sister uh, has had an employer that's been pretty accommodating uh, but even then, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And, and just recently she made the decision that she was going to, uh, to leave the workforce um, at, at a relatively young age. And so I, I think we can just do much better. And like you said, there's gaps, we can do better. And so today we'll explore, you know, what that might look like for organizations and for any leader listening, what you might be able to do to help. Sounds good. Wonderful. Well, so let's start off. Um, by really talking about that acceptance and understanding piece. You know, if you haven't, if you haven't had a family member or a close friend who's had a chronic illness, chronic pain, MS, or, or a similar type of affliction, uh, you know, it's, it can be really hard to understand um, what they might be dealing with. You know, we, we might just think, you know, you, you, you get sick, you take medicine, you deal with it, you move on. Um, that's not really what you're dealing with though with MS, is it? Or other similar types of chronic illnesses? No, not at all. And you might look fine and you might feel pretty good, but you have no idea what's going on inside your body. I mean, your cells, your nerves are doing all kinds of things that we have no idea what's going on. And, you know, there could be damage caused while you're just doing everyday functions like sitting at work. And maybe the stress from work is, causing it to happen rapidly or, you know, it's just such an unknown. Yeah. And the flare-ups can happen at any time too. That's something I, I recall with my father-in-law, he would have relative periods where things were under control and the meds were working and his life was at least semi-normal, uh, quote unquote normal. Uh, and then there were times really with little rhyme or reason as to, you know, what the trigger was, there were times where there'd just be flare-ups and he would be out of commission. Uh, and as he got older, the, those became more frequent and the good times became less frequent. Um, same, same with my sister, um, the, the flare-ups, it, it's just so unpredictable and it's certainly stress, anxiety can, can contribute. So taking the opportunity to, to mitigate and reduce whenever possible workplace stress and anxiety factors and create a, a safe workplace environment, a psychologically safe environment that can help. Um, but the bottom line is you, you can't really predict um, with a lot of these chronic illnesses how, how and when they're going to manifest and what's going to cause the flare-up. Right. And, you know, I've noticed there's so many triggers that we can try to avoid now, you know, at least to start taking some steps in that direction, you know, just through research and my own, I guess, trial and error of things that I've noticed do cause triggers and that maybe if we eliminate those from our life, you know, maybe we could pre 
inhibit some additional ones from happening. Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, I hope as we explore together today, uh, that we, we can provide leaders with some tips on what they can do. So if, if it's, if these are hidden diseases, right? Like you don't always see them. They're not always manifest. You don't know what the triggers are. The triggers can be different for everybody and not everyone's going to self-disclose. Um, there are workplace protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act um, that require accommodation, you know, employers to make accommodations, but you have to self-disclose in order to do that. And many individuals choose not to self-disclose because they're worried about what that might mean for their career, advancement opportunities, uh, et cetera. Um, so in an environment where I as, <clears throat> excuse me, I as an employer, as a leader, I want to be accommodating. I want to be supportive. I want to be helpful, but I can't see it. I don't know for sure. And they're not disclosing what, what can I do in that kind of a situation to try to, to be there for my people? I guess just being open and honest on both ends of the spectrum spectrum is what's needed and like you said, not hiding, because that's our first instinct is because we know people, I mean, humans judge, that's just human nature. You know, they're constantly judging and scanning and deciding if you're telling the truth or not. So it's a really fine line of having, you know, that kind of relationship with your employees where they will be open and honest and willing to let you know what's going on in their life. And I mean, with MS, from my experience, there's some things that are embarrassing that I wouldn't have disclosed. And, and I guess that's where the open and honest relationship does come in. Creating that psychologically safe workplace environment as a leader is important. That, that goes across the board. I mean, if, if you want people to contribute, to share their ideas, to be willing to stand up, to speak up, uh, especially to challenge things if they see you know, corruption or unethical behavior, or, you know, just something that you need to be made aware of. If it's not a psychologically safe environment, people, that's not going to happen. People aren't going to speak up because they're going to be self-protective. Um, the same thing then bleeds over into things like workplace accommodations for ADA factors, uh, chronic illness being just one of many possible factors that, that might, you know, uh, come to the surface. And people have to self-disclose. And if they, you know, if, if you if you have MS and you feel like you kind of have it under control, um, and you you do want to have a normal career, quote unquote, and you want to be able to progress, you know, you you very well may choose to not disclose unless your leadership in your organization is is actively modeling for the people, including you that no, this, this is safe. Like you actually, we value you as an employee. We appreciate your contributions. You'll have every, you'll have the same opportunity as everyone else. Um, and this isn't going to negatively impact your chances. Uh, if you can perform, you, you will have every opportunity just, just like everybody else. That's the message we have to, to be sending. Um, but we can't just say the words we act, actually have to back it up with actions. And I've seen, for example, in organizations, where they say all the right things, um, they they know what the law is, they know what compliance with the law is, <clears throat> um, and they know what they're expected to say. So they do those things, but ultimately when it comes down to it, they look for any opportunity uh, to, to uh, either not promote or even get rid of people who have these types of chronic conditions. Um, because 
they see the, the accommodations as being burdensome and challenging to the organization, or perhaps they're worried about their medical premiums as an organization for, for the employee provided healthcare. Um, you know, for whatever reason, organizations often will say the right things, but they won't back it up. And, and if that's the situation, if I'm in an organization like that, and I have MS or fibromyalgia or any of these other chronic pain or chronic illness types of, of uh, illnesses, I'm not going to disclose, I'm not going to share. And if I'm not disclosing, then it, it becomes a guessing game. And you're not, you know, as an employer, I'm not even really allowed to ask, right? It's a completely private thing. And so unless you come to me, I, all I can do is base, you know, my performance feedback and, and everything around what I observe um, about performance and not about any health related issue. So that safe environment, that's so, so vital, so important. And when that's in place, people tend to speak up, people tend to self-disclose because they know that they'll be protected. They know uh, that, you know, they won't end up having to either quit or, or you know, go find another job um, because of how they're being treated or, you know, suing or, or uh, filing a complaint with the Department of Labor or whatever. I mean, all of that, that's daunting, that's time-consuming, it takes emotional energy. Nobody wants to have to do that. And most people are going to just try to get out of the situation rather than have to deal with it. My first employer, when I was diagnosed, I was only 22 and he was into personal development and he saw the need for me to have some tools to deal with this. And I thank him still for that because he would send me to seminars like seven habits of highly effective people with Stephen Covey, or he sent me to a Brian Tracy seminar. And I can't remember all the ones, but he would say that he wanted me to come back and teach the rest of the group what I learned, except they were, you know, I'm 22, they're in their forties. They're not listening to me anyway, but it was fine. I gained a lot of knowledge from it. And then when I changed jobs about 10 years later, I didn't disclose that I had MS because I didn't want to start out having this cloud over my head of someone presuming I wasn't going to do my job. And it ended up, that I did have a really bad attack or relapse and cut way back on what I was doing and actually got a big pay cut. And apparently in the state of Wisconsin, your employer doesn't have to be nice to you. There's no law that says that. So what they did was a gray area and legal. They could just say they blamed it on the economy, even though the economy was booming. That's why they gave me a pay cut, but they were just trying to lead me to the door. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? 
Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, and that kind of behavior, that's what I'm talking about when we, we have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, because people notice those sorts of things. And who knows how many hidden um, individual, you know, people hiding their chronic illnesses in that company existed. Uh, they observe how you were treated. They observe the pay cut and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, there's no way I'm going to, to, to share at this point. Um, like you said, legally, perhaps, perhaps it was technically legal, um, ethical, moral. Uh, I would, I think anyone would be hard pressed to make that argument um, and get me in to convince me of that. Um, organizations tend to do those types of things because they tend to be self-protective. That's why organizations and bureaucracies exist to, to sustain themselves. They're as much as an organization may say that they're out to support their people. They, they're a people-centered organization. Some are, some truly are, but most who say it aren't, they're still just self-protective and, and they're, they'll be very willing to throw an individual employee under the bus or scapegoat somebody or treat someone with chronic illness like they did you um, for, for you know, whatever they perceive as like the self-protective reason um, might be or justification might be for the organization. Uh, I still think you, legally it's super questionable uh, that they cut your pay that way uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, Utah has similar labor laws as as Wisconsin, and uh, and you know if if I ever heard about some, that happening to someone here, I would tell them to immediately go get a labor attorney <laughs> because I, I suspect the the employer would would lose that case. But uh, it, you know it's it's a it's a tough thing, and 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 like I referred to earlier, you know most people don't want to sue. It's, it, it's, it's draining. It, it's time consuming. It's expensive. And, and so all else being equal, most people aren't going to go that route, uh, even if they are terribly exploited or abused or, you know, simply not provided the accommodations that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I appreciate you sharing that your own personal experience with that, because it, it's just a great illustration of the potential damage that we can do to, to good people. Um, you know, let's, let's think proactively about how we can provide reasonable accommodations for individuals who might be suffering to, you know, we're, we're in a, a labor economy that uh, we don't have enough skilled workers. We don't have enough good people to fill the jobs that are out there and you can't afford to, to let people go to marginalize people um, from any, you know, of the, any group, uh, whether it's a title seven protected group or age or pregnancy or any of these different areas, ADA accommodations, we have to, we have to find ways to be supportive and ultimately to allow people the, the environment, the opportunity to thrive and just recognizing that that's not going to be the same for everybody. So, I might have, you know, 10 people on my team, chances are out of those 10 people, I'm going to have a, probably at least a handful 
of different types of challenges and issues that people on my team are facing. And I can either take the standpoint that, oh, I'm, I'm upset. Why do I have to accommodate? I'm just going to get rid of them and find new people to take their place. Well, guess what? You bring in five new people, you're still going to probably have a handful of people out of your 10 that have issues that are they're dealing with in their personal lives, uh, health issues, personal issues, whatever. And it's that's just part of leadership. It's part of managing a team is to find the way to help everyone do their best work to, to maximize their potential within the context in the situation that they, they're in, right? Right, exactly. And I mean, you think of the ripple effect of, you know, even if it's not the employee that has the problem, because there's millions of people with MS, just that illness alone, you know, not to mention all the other chronic illnesses and all the other illnesses that exist, even in the level at the kid level, you know, their children, their spouses. So it's just such a wide tangent of possibilities. And, you know, like we said, the opportunity to just meet it head on and address the situation. Yeah, perfect. Well, please tell us now a little bit more about the work you're doing um, in trying to support other women uh, with MS. Uh, you talk about helping others to become MS warrior queens through your trainings. What are some of the things that you focus on um, when you're working with others to try to help them recognize, you know, their innate value, why they should expect and why they deserve better from organizations and how to, you know, how to empower them to, to make the most of, of their uh, situation? Sure. And I guess I've realized all the gaps in care that we mentioned earlier that exist. You go to your neurologist, if that's the case, and you see them for 20 minutes, maybe 30 if you're lucky, and they spend the majority of the time testing your reflexes and discussing your medications, but there isn't time to talk about all these other aspects to healing, such as your mindset. You know, Do you have a good outlook? Are you able to get through the day? I mean, when things get really hard, you know, how are you dealing with it? And then the body aspect, knowing what to eat and drink or not to eat and drink that cause inflammation and not to mention what you're putting on your body, you know, the personal care products that we have in our world today are just full of toxins and just knowing how to deal with relationships, you know, not just with yourself, but with your partner, your coworkers, your kids, you know, your other family and friends, you know, do you have a support circle? And so many women don't, they're just dealing with this on their own. And then, like I said, the environmental factor of what you're bringing in your home for just cleaning laundry, you know, are you still burning candles? All that is just contributing and aggravating to our systems, whether you have a chronic illness or not. And it's just a matter of time before something's triggered. You know, your body just doesn't know what to do with all these chemicals. So I just, I guess, link arms with them and go through these areas, you know, whether it's just on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, whatever they need to get through this and be there for them. You know, it's not easy, for example, giving up ice cream, but, you know, there's, the dairy and the sugar in the ice cream. And when you start giving some of these things up, 
you just start to feel better. Yeah, that's great. So talking through those types of um, environmental uh, elements and potential triggers and, and having a plan uh, on how you're going to manage your, your chronic illness uh, is, is, is really important. So in pr providing that support group, that no network, like you said, I think that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're providing that um, in, in your trainings and in your workshops and uh, in, in creating a space where people can find the support that they need. And again, bringing it back to the workplace, let's similarly think about um, what we're doing with our teams. If I'm in a really small organization, you know, I may only have one individual who has a chronic illness, um, but you start to get into mid-sized to large organizations. And I guarantee you that there's a good number of people dealing with a variety of challenge, uh, health challenges on an ongoing basis, things that are never going to go away. Um, and so what types of wellness resources are you providing them? Uh, you know, health benefits, that's great. That's important. But what other types of benefits? Could there be a support group in the workplace um, that's sponsored by the organization to, to help and support um, those who may be suffering? Uh, at, a, at a minimum, you know, can you share with your employees the resources that are available to them through their health benefits? Because you know, health benefits are complicated and confusing and it, it can be hard to navigate how to even utilize them. And a lot of times there's extra little things that organizations provide that the average person, the average employee doesn't even know about. And so unless we take the opportunity to, to just really clearly and explicitly communicate those things, they're going to be underutilized. And, you know, a, a really great resource for your people may, you know, not even be known yet, let, let alone uh, utilized. Right. And a lot of teams will just start the day with a positive you know, little session, whether it's five or 10 minutes, just to have, you know, the start of the day on a high note and just have a thought for the day. You know, whether it's a video or somebody just leading the group, but I think that's really helpful as well. You know, just to take charge and start out on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wendy, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. I appreciate your insights. I appreciate you sharing with listeners, being vulnerable and sharing your own personal experience. Um, I, I see we're getting close to the end of our time. And before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, uh, tap into your your network and your the trainings um, that you provide, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Well, to just have an intro call with me, it's just my name, wendybjork.com. And then my website is heartsofwellness.com. So it's hearts, plural, of wellness.com. And I actually just opened up my core program for the summer. So I'm looking for four ladies who are just ready to take charge of their MS and let's get it done. And I think just... The bottom line is love, be able to love yourself and give yourself grace. You have to do that every day and you have to look yourself in the mirror. And that's what I teach these ladies is how to look yourself in the mirror and say, I love you. Because if you don't love yourself, you can't help anybody else either. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Wendy. It has been a real pleasure. I, I appreciate 
you sharing. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, to find out more about what Wendy can do to help you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.